Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you and enjoy. Welcome to the St. Basil the Great Parish Podcast. I'm Tommy Dome, Director of Evangelization here at the parish. Happy to be joined by Steve Perry. Hello, St. Basil's. Uh, I'm Steve Perry, and I'm very happy to be with you. Grew up at this church, became Catholic at this church, so I'm happy to be here you with you. You just spoiled the story. I just spoiled the story. Yeah, well, we can't start okay. over at this point, became can we? Catholic. All right. Um, <laughs> and I've known Steve for probably over a decade now. He was in the Life Teen Youth Ministry Program back when I was the youth minister. And we still keep in touch. We'll get into that in a little bit. I asked Steve to come in just to talk about his spiritual journey because it's exciting and it's interesting. And I love hanging out with Steve Perry. So we decided to title this podcast, The Longest 18 Inches, or 13, The Shortest 14. Yeah, we, could, we, we, we couldn't quite get the exact measure between my head and my heart. So we are, okay, we're, yeah. it's still a work in progress. So we're talking about the, the distance and the movement and the journey. Journey being appropriate. Yes, given my name. For a guy named Steve Perry. My legacy that goes far beyond my own life. The journey of, <laughs> we have to call it the journey of 12 inches or whatever. The journey, we'll just call it the journey of 18 inches. I okay. think it's familiar. But if people get out their own rulers, they'll see that, they'll think you have a really long neck. Because <laughs> before we started recording, I actually did pull out a ruler and the distance between Steve's head and heart is about 12 inches. Yeah, maybe 12 or 14 or so. So we'll say. Who the heck has an 18 inch distance between their mind know. and their heart? So let's talk, let's say 14 inches. Okay, that sounds good. So you weren't Catholic at some point. So when did that start to change? When did you start asking the big questions? So I was actually very young, uh, was for the first time, began to take my faith seriously. It was was my sister who was a very serious Christian. I remember sitting in my room with her one day and she said something. I can't even remember what it was. But it was that that made me realize that that Christ is supposed to matter to me and rather than just be somebody that I, I talk to every now and then. And um, so this was in grade school. And then, you know, I went through a bit of a phase of, of a little bit more of indifferentism when I was a teenager. But then right around the time I joined high school, I had a couple of good friends who invited me here. And that was when the journey became the journey became a. Uh, a very serious move toward, all right, what is what is it that I really believe and how can I commit myself to it? All right. So first we had your sister. Now we've got some friends from high school. Yes. And they're playing little parts all along the way. Yes. And that's uh, that's important to point out and important for us to try and be those people mm-hmm. in other people's lives. So what happened when high school comes around? So when, I, when high school came around, I was, uh, you know, when I was in middle school, I was one of the cool kids. So I hung out at the hung out at the cool table right. every lunchtime. Yeah. Believe it or not, Tommy knows me. So he, he understands how unbelievable that might be. Wherever you went was the cool table. That, that's that's not the logic I'm following. I hung out with the popular kids. Okay, let's be clear about that. So a lot of them, a lot of the guys at least played football. And so when I was transitioning from eighth grade to ninth grade, I'm like, I should join the football team so I could hang out with these guys who I hang out with and I'm kind of realizing I don't really like all that much, but <laughs> at least uh, it gives me, gives me a bit of status. Uh, but so I started playing football my uh, my freshman year of high school. 
And I, I met two guys there whose names were Christian Cronauer and Sean Livingston. And at this point, um, I had started to at least talk about faith a little bit more openly um, as I was starting to want to dive back into what it, what the faith that had meant so much to me growing up. And so I think that they had seen that as a signal and they invited me to uh, what was once called prayer group here, uh, since been uh, renamed oratory and was renamed oratory during my tenure. And I just connected to the community here and began to realize that there wasn't a whole lot that separated me from in belief from from this community. And yeah. Do you remember the first time we met? I think I do. It was outside Eddie's Creekside. Mm-hmm. And we talked about jujitsu or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Sean Livingston was like, hey, this is my friend Steve Perry. And you at least claimed to have just come from some kickboxing thing. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I think I've broken ribs. <laughs> and I was like, are you going to tell your like anybody, like a doctor or mm. your parents or anything? And you're like, nah. <laughs> I was like, this guy is either a huge fool or totally hardcore. Was a, was a huge fool. Probably. And that there was, it was definitely just like a, a bruising situation, I'm sure. Well, that, that made you stick out in my, in my <laughs> mind from the very beginning. And having you come to prayer group and dive deep into the big questions of life. What happened in the middle of high school? The first time I came here to prayer group, I think I started coming every week after that. And then I was given an invitation to join you guys for a Sunday mass. What an idea. I began to go on retreats here. I began to um, to get involved with leading uh, leading a number of things that we did in the youth ministry here, and really fall in love with the saints. And began to really fall in love with uh, with the Eucharist and with Mary, and even from a distance, not being able to receive the Eucharist at the time, just fell in love with this community and felt so welcomed here. I think feeling home here gave the Lord the time to work in my heart to ultimately call me home to Catholicism. Amen. So then you joined the church when. This was my senior year of high school. I remember the moment that I realized that this was the home the Lord had for me. It was shortly after a Franciscan a retreat at Franciscan University over F, over the summer leading into my senior year. This was a time when the song Our God by Chris Tomlin was really popular. And afterwards, I was listening to it maybe about a week after the retreat. And as the as the, the second chorus went into the bridge, when Chris Tomlin is quoting St. Paul saying, like, and if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? Mm-hmm. And if our God is with us, then what could stand against us? I just felt a, a profound sense of longing and a profound sense of invitation into this church. And I realized that part of the reason, probably the majority of the reason why I why despite being a part of this community, I continued to identify as non-denominational was because I thought there shouldn't be any division in the church. You know, Christ says in the gospels, like, Lord, let them be one as you and I are one. In that moment, I realized that it is so much of a better witness to the unity of the church to join the church that Christ himself founded, rather than to say, I'm not going to be a part of any of them. And then I think I called called you maybe later that day or maybe the next day and and then began the RCIA process. It is interesting. You can get back to those certain points in your life when that particular it song was just what you're completely identifying with. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't heard Our God by Chris Tong, look it up after this conversation. It's a good one. So then, all right, you become Catholic. Awesome. Then what do you decide to do when you go to college? I applied to Cleveland State and to Case Western. And and I'm like, you know, I should probably apply to some good Catholic schools as well if this is something I'm going to buy into. 
by the grace and work of God, I found my way uh, into acceptance at the University of Notre Dame. And I began studying psychology. But I, I understood as I went in as a psychology major that I needed to figure out more about what the heck I just signed up for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was uh, so I knew that I was going to spend at least a good chunk of time studying theology, even if I wasn't intending to major in it. But after about taking two taking about two classes, it was clear that this is what I really had a passion for learning about. And I recognized that I was smart enough and hardworking enough to find an application for that passion um, and that what I enjoyed learning would be what I enjoyed doing. Mm-hmm. So we sort of mentioned it before, but I want to go back to it because it it's true. We are both head and heart. We've got both and we don't just walk around like some emotionless logic machines, mm-hmm. right? But at the same time, we're not just walking around as this logicless emotional machine. Emotions. <laughs> yeah. So so we've got both. And some folks and in different periods of my life for sure the heart is more operative or the head is more operative or things can become rote. You're just doing them out of habit and the heart's not into it, but Mm -hmm. the mind knows, you know, this is a duty. This is what I will do. I will show my devotion and my faith and my commitment. And then there are other times where not learning so much, but just really feeling the Lord's presence. So how have those two things played together in your journey? For me, it's one of the first questions I ask when I'm trying to either evangelize or re-evangelize a person is, do they operate first through their head or first through their heart? For me, I was I was definitely a first through the head sort of person. And even still, I find that I feel almost most connected to the Lord, not in the moments of silent prayer that I commit to, but the but through study and through coming to a deeper understanding of some aspect of him or some aspect of the faith. I know in my own life as well, sometimes I get too stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. And do you have any tips for when you need to just get that zeal back? Mm. You know, like the one of the seven deadly sins of sloth, you know, that's not laziness. It's you do not take any enjoyment in the spiritual things. You don't have zeal. Mm-hmm. So you got any tips for getting that zeal back? Do you just fight through and stay committed and mm-hmm. eventually hope it'll come back or what? I actually just gave a talk on this recently. It's sometimes hard to identify where that spiritual dryness comes from. In my life, some things that I've found is that for so long, whenever I would experience kind of those moments of just kind of being caught in my head or not really feeling emotionally connected to my faith, my habit was to remember the things that were that had been meaningful to me in the past, the spiritual practices that had gotten me to the point where I am in faith right now and to kind of recommit to those. But what were some of those? So for me, adoration was one of them. A lot of time spent in mental prayer, just sort of conversational prayer and and, and, and interior reflection. Also just engaging with music, um, singing hymns, uh, singing praise and worship. But what I found, I guess, sort of more recently in life is that, that's not always what the Lord is calling you to. He's not always calling you to more of the same. Sometimes he's leading you by that dryness to something different. Looking at your gifts, recognizing the things that you're made for, the ways that you are built to be a builder of the kingdom of God, and then to begin to live into those things. And so for, I would say most recently my in my own life, the Lord kind of brought me to the recognition that I had a gifted mind and I was keeping it mostly to myself. I wasn't doing a lot of cultivating of it. I wasn't doing a lot of writing. I wasn't doing a lot of speaking. I remember coming after a period of a couple of months of feeling dryness. I remember feeling such a profound sense of peace and, rec- and coming to that recognition that 
I have a gift for building the kingdom of God that I wasn't using well and that I was bored because I wasn't doing what the Lord was, was had built me for. Mm-hmm. And so I'd say that oftentimes when you're experiencing that dryness, begin by figuring out what your gifts are because your gifts will tell you what you're built for and sort of engage with that with the Lord. I think a lot of times that is what he's calling us to. And he calls us out of our boredom by calling us toward what we're made for. Dear listener, if you'd like some more discussion about this idea of the head and heart and feelings and what that's a sign of, there's another episode on this podcast and it's called, Do You Feel Like You're Losing Your Faith? Here's why that might be a good thing. And that's a a discussion deeper into that question. Hmm. All right, Steve, I want to sort of wrap up talking about this really cool trip and pilgrimage you took. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it. Yeah. A couple of years ago, um, I did the Camino de Santiago, which is translated the way of St. James. It's a pilgrimage from southern France to the Cathedral of St. James in Santiago, Santiago de Compostela in Spain. I think it's about a, a 800 kilometer walk over the that you do over the course of about a month. It is physically grueling, but it is spiritually satisfying. Um, lots of make connections with people from all over the world. It was a really, really rich experience. Yeah, there's people walking that walk every day of the year. Every day of the year. And so Wouldn't I have it? no idea what 800 kilometers means, but... It's around 500 miles. Okay, so you walked 500 miles mm-hmm. in a month. That's a tremendous experience mm-hmm. and opportunity. And it's so awesome that you did it. And you've been very blessed in your life with Mm -hmm. your faith and embracing it and becoming Catholic and then going to a Catholic college and then doing this mission work down in Texas, getting your master's degree and working in a parish. Mm -hmm. And now you're a campus minister at Case Western Reserve. Mm -hmm. Yet you were like, I need to go deeper. Mm -hmm. I need to open up more doors for the Lord to come in. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go do this crazy thing for a month over Mm -hmm. in Europe. That's just that's just a great credit to you to not be complacent and to always look deeper and stretch yourself both physically and and spiritually. So what were the biggest lessons or insights you gained from walking for a month? Yeah. 500 miles. First of all, where do you sleep? Um, You sleep in what are called albergues. It's it's the Spanish word for hostels. So you're generally in a room with at least four or five people you don't know. You get the sense of how many different varieties of snoring there is <laughs> in those sorts of situations. Where do you buy food? Um, there's there's food all along the way because this is a because this is such a well traveled path. Like it's almost created an economy around it. Like even in small, mm-hmm. even in like if you're in a village of like fifty or eighty people, they've got a restaurant for pilgrims. That's cool. Um, those sort of logistical questions are almost solved for you in a way. Yeah, yeah. Packed yeah. full of people. There was a movie with Martin Sheen. Mm-hmm called The Way. Yep. And we and showed it, that at St. Basil's a few years ago. It's actually a pretty like accurate sort of couple snapshots of what the of what the Camino would be like. I think they do a pretty good job of representing it. Because you had visions of Emilio Estevez as well? I Not a day passed without them. <laughs> All right. Back to the spiritual lesson. <laughs> so back to the spiritual lesson. So I think a large part of why I wanted to go was there was a particular pattern of sin in my life that I wanted to break. And so one of the things that I picked that I realized in the fact that I did not break that pattern of sin at that time was that often you you will follow the Lord with a certain intention in your life, but the Lord desires to bring something else out of it. So I think that the biggest lesson that I took away from the Camino was realizing how much 
power the human will has and how much power my will has. The first three days of the Camino were almost inexplicably challenging for me. They are very difficult terrain-wise, and the first day is actually the hardest day of the Camino. I had to stop several times. My body was just not ready for the challenge that that it was. After the first day, I woke up, I, t- I tested my heart rate, and my heart was still beating at around like 100 beats a minute. And so then the second day so was... You, you're, you must snore so hard. That day, apparently I did. I'm not a snorer, <laughs> but uh, one of my friends who I traveled with, the very first thing he said to me in the morning was like, wow, you were snoring <laughs> like crazy. But on the fourth day, there was like a total shift where on those first three days, I was recognizing that my mind was telling me continue to go forward, but my body was telling me to stop. Mm-hmm. And so my body was winning for all those three days. And like my my, I was giving, I was taking breaks and needed to stop. But then on that fourth day, my body responded to my mind and we're like, okay, I guess we're just doing this. Um, Because of the strength of my will to continue going, my body just eventually responded to it and was like, this is just something we're, I guess we're going to do. I guess we have to do. I had some difficult days later as the Camino went on, but no day was as challenging as those first couple of days. And the takeaway was if I commit my mind to the spiritual life the same way I committed my mind to finishing that walk. There's very little I would be unable to accomplish. And the body will adapt. Yeah. Same thing with fasting and the spiritual life. Absolutely. It's amazing. After, after a, an amount of time, tough time, mm-hmm. the body is eventually like, okay, mm-hmm. all right, I'm on board. Mm-hmm. And can just adapt and, and break habits that have been going on for decades. Yeah. Pilgrimages are just beautiful and unique mm-hmm. aspect of the spiritual life. It accomplishes things that all the other wonderful things in our faith don't accomplish mm-hmm. in the same way. It's just there's so many options to grow in the spiritual life and pilgrimages, even if you're driving, you don't need to walk. Mm-hmm. But going someplace and making a journey with a spiritual goal just really does something cool. Yeah, I think that I think especially walking pilgrimages connects us in a way with our bodies that like because, you know, for so long of our history, we walked everywhere we, we went. So I think that that's almost built into our DNA that's built into the way that God made us. And so I feel like almost connecting with our embodiedness through the act of just constantly walking. So I think connecting with the body at the same time you're connecting with the spirit is really holistic in a way that not a lot of other things can be. Mm-hmm. All right. So on our way out, were there any major resources or figures or saints or authors or books that have helped Mm -hmm. you in your spiritual walk that some of our listeners may also benefit from? Yes. Someone who was really helpful for me, who continues to be really helpful for me, is Bishop Robert Barron. Not dumbing down the faith in any way, but being sure that everything that he talks about is is connected to the heart. But he but he still does engage that intellectual those intellectual aspects. And you can find all his stuff at wordonfire.org. Yes, absolutely. And and I think that there's also a book that I've come across recently written by Dr. Matt Nelson, who's uh, an associate of Robert Barron's as well. It's called Just Whatever. It talks about a lot of the reasons why a lot of modern people are indifferent to questions of religion, the reasons why those reasons are insufficient in a way. I would say that those are those are two people who come to mind for sure. Well, I just am so inspired by you and proud of you. And you have just taken your faith and put it in every aspect of your life with what you studied and your career path and the friends you make and you're an inspiration to me and I thank you for coming and talking about your spiritual journey here with us. I think there's a lot to learn, especially those tips about your sister and your friends who paid attention to you and then invited you 
the lessons about how learning new things can deepen our faith. Catholic author Frank Sheed put it like this. He said, every new thing learned about God is a new reason to love God. Mm. And the impact that it's had on you when you decided to do something sort of big, sort of crazy, sort of radical for God, that 500 mile walk, and then, and then say, you know what, uh, I guess your plans are better than my plans. Mm-hmm. And your ways are far above my ways. There's somewhere, something in Isaiah that says yeah. that. So thanks for coming. And we wish you the best in your very, very important ministry at Case Western, working with college students. To all our listeners, thank you so much for spending this time with us. And remember to pray every day, get to Mass every week, confession once a month, and every year if you do a retreat or pilgrimage, then your spiritual life will not stay where it is, and it will not rust or plateau, but it will continue to grow. God bless. Awesome. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.